I know I've said this before, but I want to say it again, just how grateful I am to have people like Jim Curzon, who was willing to teach for me last Sunday. What a tremendous blessing it is for you to have gifted teachers and communicators that can preach God's word to you. I always say how big of a help it is for me to have time away with my family. We were in Montreal and just had a great time with the Potters, many of whom, you, many of you know them. And it, the weather was fantastic, which really helped. It always seems like when we're together with them, whether we're in Montreal or we're here, it's smoking hot. And so it's just, it, it's always rough that way. But we were able to be outside and spent time with the boys on the St. Lawrence River, floating on rafts, skipping rocks. That's good stuff right there. So, Hey, we're, we're back in our sermon series on Daniel, Remaining Faithful in a Faithless Generation. We're continuing to press forward through this book. And after today's lesson, we'll have three more sermons on this book. And then I'll be going into a sermon series on worship since we're going through this big change right now. Uh, with, with the music team leadership, we thought it'd be good to really focus on what is worship, why do we come here on Sunday mornings, why is this so important, so we're looking forward to that. Today we're going to be in Daniel 9, and we're going to be reading verses 20 through 27, and so I encourage you to follow along as I read these verses. Um, these are some of the most debated verses in all of the Bible, and so my hope is that uh, we can cut through some of that to really see what God might want us to really know and experience here in, in 2018. So let me read it. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll read it. Lord, we, we're so grateful that your love never fails. It never runs out. It never dries up on us that you are faithful to us in death and in life, and from birth to death, and you take care of everything in between, and then you take care of our eternity, life after death. Your love never fails. Lord, we need that love. Uh, we, are, we are broken people with a whole bunch of issues and a whole bunch of challenges before us, some of our own doing that we've created. Uh, a lot of them, it's just the result of living in a fallen world and Lord, we need you. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that loves you in return uh, because you have first loved us, that, that our love for you would be unfailing, that our love for you would be constant, that we would be pursuing you, that we wouldn't be distracted from the care, by the cares of this life, that we, that we forget about you and your kingdom and I know the, the enemy would love for us to be lulled into a sort of sleep as we just go through life kind of aimless and distracted uh, without thinking about you and living for you. I pray that this morning as we look at Daniel 9, that this would help us remain faithful to you, that it would reorient us to what's most important and to how great you are and how we need to live in response to your greatness with gratitude and a desire to serve you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, so let me read these verses to you. Daniel 9, verses 20 through 27. 
Now while I was speaking, so this is Daniel talking here. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, the street shall be built again in the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood, and till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. All right. Got that? Clear? Right? Here's what I'll be focusing on this morning. Child of God, God hears you. You are greatly loved. You need to grow up. God answers your prayers. God wants you to have hope. Let's first look at God hears you. So two weeks ago when I uh, taught on the first part of Daniel, we found Daniel in prayer, didn't we? And remember that Daniel and his people, the Israelites, had been taken from their homeland. And they had been forced to live in Babylon. The capital city of their homeland, Jerusalem, had been ransacked by the Babylonians. In the temple, the most important building of their capital city had been destroyed. This is where God's presence dealt with the Israel, Israelite people in a special way. And all of this, we're told in Daniel, came upon the Israelites because of their sin. They had chosen this life of opposition to God. God, through his prophets, graciously warned the Israelites time and time again, hey, you're on the path of destruction. But the Israelite people, they turned a deaf ear. And the result was that God allowed the Babylonians to come and to punish the Israelite people for their wickedness. Now, Daniel, a man faithful to God, was caught in the backwash of all this. And so he, too, even though he was faithful to God, was forced to live in exile in Babylon with the rest of God's people. Now, by the time we come to, to Daniel 9, Daniel has been living in captivity in Babylon for almost 70 years. Can you imagine living in a foreign land? 
by an oppressive regime for nearly 70 years. And Daniel 9 starts out with Daniel just pouring out his heart to God. And, and, and he's pouring over the words that God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. And as Daniel studied the prophet Jeremiah and the words God spoke through him, Daniel came to realize that after 70 years, the Israelite people, God would allow them to return to their homeland. Daniel knows that the 70 years is almost up, and so you can imagine how excited Daniel was. The time is coming. We're going to be allowed to go back home at last. The exile is just about over. Now, the Babylonians had already been overthrown, just as Jeremiah predicted. And so for Daniel, he just knew, because that was part of, hey, Babylon's going to be punished. You're going to be able to return home. So it's like the first part of the promise has been fulfilled. He's waiting on the second part of the promise to be uh, fulfilled. And that's what he is fervently praying for. He's praying that Jeremiah's prophecy would happen. That the Israelite people would be allowed to return to their homeland. And, you know, as Daniel would have studied Jeremiah's prophecy, he would have come across some other things too. Some other promises from God. He would have read about this promised new covenant that God makes to the Israelite people through the prophet Jeremiah. That was different than the covenant, the old covenant they had, that they had broken with their sin. This would be a covenant that would finally fulfill Deuteronomy's promise that God's law would be written on the hearts of his people and they would have the power to obey the Lord. Check out Jeremiah's words on the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. So, in the Old Covenant, God had given his people ten commandments, right? Ten rules for living that would enable the Israelite people to love God well and to love each other well, now because of the sin in God's people's hearts, God's law was powerless to make them into these people that loved God well and loved the, each other well. It only served, the law, what it did, it only served to show them just how messed up they really were, God's people were. And so Jeremiah, he predicts that one day God's going to enter into a relationship with his people again, and this time it's going to be different. This time, the law won't be just this external thing, but this law of God, his rules for living will be deeply rooted in their hearts, and they will be given a power to 
really live out these laws, a power that they didn't have before, and that this new covenant, this new relationship would be ushered in by God's anointed one. Jeremiah 33, 15 and 16 says this. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord our righteousness. And so what Daniel is doing in chapter 9, and this is such an important context to have, is he's praying for this all to happen. He's praying for this salvation to come to God's people. He's praying that God will bring them back home, that God will restore their capital city, Jerusalem, that God will restore the temple where they, where they met with him, that God would send the Messiah to establish this new covenant so that the, their hearts and minds would be so transformed that it would result in a transformed lifestyle, one that is obedient to the glory of God. And so we have Daniel saying, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. So that's, that's Daniel crying out. Now look at what happens in Daniel verses 20 through 22. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin, the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me. The point I want to make here is that God heard Daniel's prayer. God was so in tune with Daniel's prayer, so in tune that even before Daniel was done praying, God sent his angel Gabriel to be with Daniel. Child of God, I want you to know that your heavenly father hears your prayers. He hears them. He hears the prayers of his children. He hears your prayers for your child. He hears your prayers for your loved one. He hears your prayers regarding your difficult circumstances. He hears your petitions for rescue. He hears your petitions for help. He hears your petitions for deliverance. Every word that comes from your mouth enters the Father's ears. And I don't want you to mistake God's silence for a lack of concern for you, or a lack of attention on his part. God's not ignoring you. God hears you. He is listening. In addition to what we see in our passage here, the Bible repeatedly affirms that God hears the prayers of his children. Psalm 4.3 says, But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Psalm 6, 8 says, Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. You know, a mother's uh, hearing ability just amazes me. My mom's here 
uh, today, and I can remember times when I was saying things, and I really didn't think she was listening, but she heard me. Moms have, like, just amazing hearing ability, right? I know, you know, a young mother can be at her house entertaining a whole bunch of people. Her husband's on the other side, complete opposite end of the house, and she can be talking to somebody, and, oh, did you hear that? That's my daughter. She's hungry, or she's tired, or she needs her diaper changed, or whatever. A mom's ability to hear their children is just off the charts. A mom hears their groans, hears their sighs. You know, dads sleep through a lot of it. I don't hear half of what our kids do, you know. But moms, they're so in tune. Roman eight, uh, Romans 8 tells us that God's spirit is interceding for us in prayer according to the will of God. That's how in tune God is with us. He even hears us when we cannot verbalize our fears, we cannot verbalize our sadness, we cannot verbalize our worry or our hurt. Romans 8 tells us that in our groans, the Holy Spirit is so in tune with us, interceding for us, praying for what we can't pray for because we can't put the words together. And so I want to tell you this morning, if you're sighing under the weight of uh, raising children, God hears you. If you're sighing under the weight of being in leadership, God hears you. If you're sighing and groaning due to some physical ailment, God hears you. Tammy Teets is here this morning, and she has been through it. It's been a roller coaster with, with health concerns, and just it's been a challenging road. God hears Tammy. Tammy's here with us this morning. Child of God, do you know why God hears you, why he hears your sighs, why he hears your prayers? Because he loves you. You are greatly loved. That's point number two. Why did God hear Daniel's prayers? Why did God hear Daniel's prayers for the, 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 the Israelite people and his groaning for his homeland and his city in the new covenant that Jeremiah had pro, uh, prophesied and promised? Verse 23 tells us that Daniel was greatly beloved by God. I really appreciate Brandon pointing this out. Child of God, do not forget you are greatly loved by God. I wish I could just somehow like make this just so permeate your hearts this morning that you would just be walking out of here with such joy and delight because the world out there is always telling you you are not good enough, right? You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not successful enough. You're not good enough. You're not wealthy enough. God loves you. He is crazy about you. He rejoices over you with singing, the Bible tells us. His thoughts about you are more numerous than, than the sand on the seashore. His love is so intense for you that nothing can separate you from it. In Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle Paul prays for the Christians in Ephesus. He wants the Christians in Ephesus, and I want you to know this morning how wide, how long, how high, and how deep. God's love is for you, and of course, Paul is praying this for the Christian believers at Ephesus. Isaiah 49, I think this is a great analogy that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, uses. He says, God compares 
So God compares his love for his people to that of a nursing mother. Check out this verse, Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Sure, they, they may get, they may forget. So Isaiah is saying like that just really hardly ever happens. But even if a mother could do that, yet I will not forget you. This is what God is saying. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Isaiah wants us to think of the best human mothers and how they love their nursing child. Because it's only then we begin to see the extravagant love that God has for his children. Think of a nursing mother, a good nursing mother. I know some of you had, you know, bad mothers, but think of, you know, a nursing mother who is a great mother. Think about how she just loves her new baby. Everything is centered on the baby's needs. She's totally changed her life rhythms to accommodate this little one. She's sleeping differently, eating differently. She's on, you know, constant uh, uh, 24-hour, 24-7 alert to tend to the needs of this child. You name it, the mom does it. And then the care for the child, a good mother's care for her child doesn't stop when they get older. It continues. When we were in Montreal, uh, three dads took the kids swimming for the day so that the women could go and shop, right? So the difference between mothers and fathers and how mothers love their children so well. So we're swimming at this public pool in Montreal. It gets to be around lunchtime, and of course, uh, my boys come to me, and they ask, hey, we're hungry. Where's our snacks? You know, basically, snacks? Snacks? Uh, I don't have any snacks. You're with dads today, not moms, buddy. You're lucky. I was thinking you're lucky that I even remembered to put sunscreen on you. I had one towel. That's all I had for the three of us. That's all. You know, I said, you're with dads today. It's vacation. I'm trying to do as little of work as possible. That's how dads roll. Kids had no snacks. We had to share towels. And we're just all dads are just kind of looking at each other like, yeah. Um, so mom, so we went hiking two days later, we stopped, you know, and one of the moms, hey, would you guys like a snack? <laughs> Out from the purse comes like a Thanksgiving feast, and then the other two moms are like, oh, I got some stuff too, and here's some waters. We were eating apples, fig bars, um, we had some other granola bar type things, and there was bottles of water, and it just all... My boys and their cousins, I don't know how they got this in their mind, but they're going to ship Mary, my wife, and my sister to China. I said, boys, you would be making the biggest mistake of your lives if you're going to ship anybody, ship the dads, right? God's love for you is like a mother's love, a good, great mother's love for her children. Our names are written on the palms of his hands. He loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. And so, point number three, God wants you to grow up. You need to grow up. 
God hears Daniel's prayers because he's loved. And this love for Daniel by God compels God to care for Daniel and to bring Gabriel to him in a particular way. Verse 22 tells us that God orchestrated his response in a particular fashion so that Daniel would gain skill to understand. Skill to understand what? Well, God's plans for his people, the very thing that Daniel was praying about. God wanted Daniel to grow in his understanding of God and his ways. And although Daniel was a mature Christian and he had demonstrated that time and time again, as we have seen, as we've journeyed through the book of Daniel, he still had room for growth. Like Daniel, God wants you to grow up too. And that's why the Apostle Peter charged believers in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The, writers, the, the writer of the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 5, he rebukes his audience because they are still infantile in their faith. They should be to a place where they're instructing others, being spiritual parents to others, but they're still spiritual infants. Too many Christians today aren't growing up. They're too easily satisfied with just knowing the basics of their faith. They're distracted by the cares of this life. They're happy eating mushy baby food when they should be eating solid, grown-up food. They're perpetually infantile in their knowledge, in their understanding of God and his word, and their application of it. They're not taking their faith to the gym and working it out. How do you work out your faith? How do you take it to the gym? Well, like Daniel, you study God's word. You meditate on God's word. Word of God's word. You pray God's word. You trust God's word. And you do this in community as much as you possibly can with other believers. And as you do, God causes your faith to grow up. That is the rich soil which enables faith just to grow into blossom and continue to grow. One thing that I am just very impressed by some of the um, older uh, people in our congregation is their desire to know more about God, even though they've been journeying with him now for decades. They know they haven't arrived. This next school year, I ask you, how will you endeavor to grow your faith? How will you take your faith to the gym? What spiritual exercises are you going to engage in? And who are you going to do it with? Who are you going to work out your faith with? child of God. God hears you. He loves you. He wants you to grow up. And number four, God answers your prayers. In our passage, uh, Daniel wants to know when is God going to end this exile, bring his people home, restore Jerusalem and the temple, and create a new covenant with his people. He's excited. It's been nearly 70 years of waiting. He's wondering when is God going to act exactly and do what he has promised. And you know what? God answered Daniel's prayer, didn't he? 
It was an answer that Daniel didn't expect, no doubt, but God did answer his prayer. Child of God, God always answers your prayers. Many times he says yes to your prayers. Just like many times we as parents say yes to the request of our kids. Think about how many times God has responded to your prayers by doing what you've asked him to do. When he provided that house you were looking for, when he gave you that job, when, you, when he brought you into that relationship that you're in with that special friend or spoke to you through his word. Think about how many times he's brought healing, how many times he's brought protection, how many times he's eased pain and suffering. Let us not forget all the yeses God has given us in response to our prayers. And yet, sometimes God answers our prayers by saying no. James 4.3 tells us that sometimes God says no to our prayers because we ask with the wrong selfish motives. James 1.6 tells us that sometimes God says no to our prayers because we don't ask in faith, trusting that he can do for us what we're asking him to do. Psalm 66, 18 tells us that sometimes God says no to our prayers because we are willfully disobeying God in some area of our life and we're bent on continuing to engage in that particular sin. John 16, 24 through 26 tells us that sometimes God says no to our prayers because we're not praying with a dependence on Jesus, in Jesus' name, with a dependence on him. And sometimes God says no to our prayers simply because we aren't asking what is best for us, right? And God is a good father, and he only gives the best gifts to his children. And if we're asking for less than the best, God's not going to give it to us. Thank God we didn't get some of the things we have asked for. But sometimes God answers our prayers with this one, and this is a hard one. Yes, but it will have to wait. Yes, but it will have to wait. This is a hard one. I don't know what's worse, just a flat-out no or a yes. You know, you have to wait. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know. This is how God answered Daniel. Check this out. Look at what Gabriel tells Daniel in verses 24 through 27. The yes part of God's answer to Daniel's prayer was that, yes, the 70 years was just about up. The Israelite people are going to be allowed to return home here very shortly, right? And all my promises, yes, they're going to come true. New covenant, right? It's going to come true. Look, a day was coming, verse 24 tells us, that God will finish transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy. Remember, it was Israel's transgression and sin that had led them, you know, into Babylon, and, and, and it was the wickedness of, of their lives that, that made that happen. But God is promising to, to, to Daniel, yeah, one day I'm going to break the power of sin. I'm going to pay for it. Uh, I'm going to make my people justified before me in the place of wickedness and rebellion. There's going to be everlasting righteousness. I'm going to make you all, Israelite people, into a holy nation. The most holy place, the temple in Jerusalem, it's going to be restored. 
At last, all this prophecy, all this vision of God's prophets, it's going to be fulfilled. The new covenant will come. That was the yes part to, to Daniel's prayers. Hey, you're going to return home here shortly. And yes, I'm saying yes to all those promises. I'm saying yes again to all of that. Here's the wait part. This was the part that had to be so difficult for Daniel. Have you ever been hiking and thinking that you're right just about to the top of the mountain and you make a turn around the mountain and you see you got so much was telling to go? This was Daniel here. Because what God was telling Daniel was that for the whole thing, the whole, all of God's promises to come to fruition, fruition, it wasn't going to come immediately after those 70 years of exile. It would be 70 weeks more. So it wasn't going to be all fulfilled right away. And this had to be difficult for Daniel to hear. It wouldn't take a mere 70 years to accomplish the transformation of the Israelite people's hearts and their lives. It would take 70 times 7 to accomplish this complete and ultimate victory for them over sin and evil. You see, often God says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says yes, but you're going to have to wait. God's timing is often different than ours, isn't it? But it is perfect. He's never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. Maybe you're waiting right now. Maybe God has said yes to you this morning, but you have to wait. And I'm encouraging you to wait patiently. I'm encouraging you to actively wait by pursuing God and doing what he has for you in the meantime. And I encourage you to trust that God's timing is just what it needs to be. Child of God, God hears you. He greatly loves you. He wants you to grow up. He answers your prayers. And lastly, God wants you to be full of hope. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know, how can I know that all this is true? You know, how can I know that God is going to one day in all iniquity, end all sin, usher in everlasting righteousness, make this new covenant come to its complete fulfillment. How can I know this all sounds so good? Well, there's great debate over verses 24 through 27. I mean, there's just so much debate over these verses. There are many different interpretations. I think each one of them has strengths. Each one of them has weaknesses. But here's what I didn't find any real debate over in these verses. This identity of Messiah the Prince who is cut off but not for himself. This Messiah, of course, is Jesus Christ who has indeed been cut off but not for himself as the prophet Isaiah predicted. Isaiah 53, 8 says, For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. Isaiah continues, and look how similar the language is to Daniel 9, 24. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he was wounded for our transgression, transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God's children, how do we know that God hears us? How do we know that he greatly loves us? How do we know that he wants us to grow and will cause us to grow? How do we know that he will answer our prayers? And how do we know that we can trust his timetable? Jesus' sacrifice for us. He was wounded for our transgression. Surely he hears us. He was bruised for our iniquities. Surely he loves us. He was cut off from the land of the living so that we could be healed. Surely he will cause us to grow until at last we're completely healed of sin. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter for you. Surely he's going to give you answers to your prayers. He was oppressed and afflicted for for you. Surely you can trust his timetable. You see, Daniel looked ahead to God's anointed one, this Messiah who would usher in the new covenant, and it gave him hope that helped him cope with his present circumstances. We don't have to look ahead. We can look back. We can look back to the day that Jesus died for us, the day then that he was raised back to life, And to the day that he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he lives and reigns and is present with us and has promised to never leave nor forsake us and has promised to return to at last make everything that the prophets promised come in full. No more sin, no more evil. God's children fully conformed to their Savior's image Earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The new Jerusalem, God's kingdom at last filling the entire earth. Jesus' death and resurrection, it gives us hope for today because it proves that Jesus is with us. And it gives us hope for tomorrow because it proves that nothing can stop God from doing what he's promised to do. Come Jesus, come, right? Child of God, God hears you. You are greatly loved. You need to grow up. God answers your prayers, and God wants you to have hope. And I ask you this morning, are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Is he your father? Have you come to him repenting of your ways of living that just was ignoring God outside of his intentions? And have you come trusting that Jesus is for you? He has died for you. He wants a relationship. He wants to lead and guide you. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for just how attentive you are to us and our needs. And Lord, even when it seems as if you're silent or if we're, it seems that we're waiting too long, Lord, we know that your, your silence is not um, you being disinterested in our lives or being inattentive, that you're at work, that you hear every groan, you hear every sigh, that our sighs are like screams and yells to you. You're so in tune with us. And that you are working in your perfect ways, in your perfect timing, 
solutions for us. We trust you. We know we can trust you because look at what you have done through your son. And if you were willing to give your son for us, how would you not then be willing to give us all the things that we really need? We thank you for that. And Lord, as we look to the future, what a glorious future we have. What a guarantee we have of this inheritance that is going to come, that this new covenant has started with you coming, Jesus. But there's still more to be fulfilled. Sin is not completely eradicated from our lives and from this world, and we know that that is your plan. We look forward to it. Lord, I think about uh, somebody like Ed Hodgson, who you know, had a heart pump installed into his body, and we're thankful that that has happened. And we're thankful that he is making progress. But this has been uh, really a life and death, you know, ordeal. And we are so grateful that he's in a spot where he wins. He either wins and becomes whole and healthy through this heart pump, or he wins because you take him to be with you where he will experience complete healing and restoration. Thank you that always operating and living and walking in that uh, victorious uh, posture. We praise you, Jesus. We pray that you would continue to work in Ed's life. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that has not been adopted into your family through placing their faith in you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, that they wouldn't delay that they would see your arms open wide for them, that they would see your great extravagant love towards them, wanting them to just come right into the family. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.